Welcome to this conversation. I'm Teresa Keller. My guest today is James Gibbs, and we're continuing our conversation from last week. James Gibbs is the at-large international vice president of the United Mine Workers Association. We spent our last session talking about the fact that he was invited to the State of the Union, invited by Senator Tim Kaine, who is a Democrat who had been supportive of an effort to continue benefits for mine workers through a bill that was passed called the American Miners Act in 2019. And Mr. Gibbs had been talking to us about recognizing that fossil fuel jobs are diminishing, and yet there are still many miners at work in the coal fields and that they want and need, and that they need their continuing pension benefits and health care benefits. And so Mr. Gibbs is joining us to get today again because there was so much that we didn't get to talk about last time. Thank you, James Gibbs, for your patience and for being back with us this week. Okay, Teresa. Yes. When we when we ended our conversation last time, mm-hmm. you were talking about how that the Democrats had been loyal support for minors. You yes. talked about how that the Black Caucus was supportive for continuing this these benefits. You mentioned the one congressman that you were most frustrated with for not supporting these benefits, Congressman Morgan Griffith. When we were ending the conversation, we were talking about how the working people had in the past supported Democrats, but you felt like that the Democrats had begun to miss the opportunity to communicate and retain the support of the mine workers. Mm -hmm. And where does that stand right now? Well, this is where we're at, because I think it's always been uh, a problem with uh, the Democrat Party of going back and telling people, explaining to people the type of bills they got and passed and why they got them passed, and the communication between them and the rank and file people. Uh, You had us, but that you're letting us go because you think they are supporting. And we have some people that supported that last former president, but still yet... uh, we had a lot of people that voted and had voted forever for the Democrat Party. But when you don't come in and acknowledge these folks, and that's what a lot of Democrats did, they they stopped, they just took us for granted that we've always voted Democrat and they're gonna stay that away. That's the reason you're losing these rural areas. That don't make it so whenever you don't come in and talk to them and tell them what you're doing and what you have done. And that's the thing that they hadn't done in the last five, six years. Because I remember when the six coal counties over in the coal fields with nothing but Democratic. You don't just lose these people because Rick Boucher retired and and did not, Rick did not want to run the last time he ran. And we let a guy sneak in that honestly has not supported this area and Southwest Virginia since he's been in office. Only time we see this man, and I'm talking about, uh, Congressman Griffith, is when we have an election. And anybody can tell me anything any different and tell me what he's done for this area. I will right now tell them how wrong they are if they can tell me something that he's done to support the working people and working men. And if anybody can tell me what this former president done, that done and helped Southwest Virginia or any of these Southern coal, uh, coal areas in any of these other states, he said he was going to bring these jobs in. He said he was, only thing I can say that he done that was a positive for the mine workers. He signed off on that bill 
when we had the support of so many congressmen of the Republican Party, bipartisan, both from Congress and the Senate. But we know the ones that supported us, and Griffin wasn't one of those folks. And that's what I'm saying to you. These coal companies have always went the way of, of, of the greed factor. And, and when I say that, I'm just going to show you, we got a strike going on right now in Alabama uh, that's been going on for two years. And uh, this five years, six years ago, six years ago, the, the coal company uh, Warrior Met was brought out. They brought out the coal co this other coal company went bankruptcy uh, down in Alabama. Our guys to keep Warrior Met profitable and, and to be able to run, they took a $6 cut on the air. They took it days, gave up days off. They gave up sick days off. They gave up everything they could to try to, to keep this company viable. These coal companies, this coal company here, uh, for two years, five years, they ran with all the cuts that we gave them. And coal was at that time $60 a ton. $60 a ton. Now, let's fast forward to uh, last year or a year before when they first went out on strike. Coal went up this past summer to $600 a ton. And we, they, this, this same coal company that we took all these cuts for to try to keep them viable, they didn't want to give us back what we gave them. Tell me the justice that you see in that. Yeah, let me put it this way to you. I know that you say that Democrats have been the party of the working people in the past. Mm -hmm. the, the shorthand is that Republicans are supportive of business and companies. And from the company perspective, you said, where's the justice? Companies don't care about justice. Companies care about the bottom line and they want to get workers as cheap as they can. And they think that that's good business. I agree with so, that. But, but, but the thing is, it's not that simple. You can expect that from the company. But there are lots of workers who are anti-union as well. I'm sure you see that. What? And I agree with that. And I, and, and, and I have, and I have no, no disagreement with what you're saying. A lot of people just don't know. I mean, we've heard, I mean, the company has these people uh, eight hours a day, no matter which way, or 10 hours a day or 12 hours a day. And they can put this stuff in their head and their mind and saying they can't get better. You don't need a third party. That's the reason I was organized director. And I can tell you just what you're saying is so true. But where you fall short is whenever something happens to one of these people or one of their family members, these non, I'm talking about non-union, uh, then they realize then they need help, but they don't, they can't go to the company because that's the same company don't fend their head. Uh, you don't need no help. You will take care of you. Well, they don't take care of them. And that's the same thing I'm saying. This is the part that I think that when I say the Democrat party, I don't down the Democrat party, but what you did, what they did was they took us for granted and assumed no matter what happened, that we was going to stay with them. No matter how bad things got, we was going to stay with them. And we have done that in most cases, but it comes a time when you have to say, I got to go and talk to these people. I have to go and, and let these people know what we are doing for their uh, benefit and how good life could be 
if we all work together and make this happen. Well, that stopped happening with the Democrat Party. I'm saying that's the point. They took us for granted. They just stopped coming and talking to our people and explain. We're not dumb that we cannot understand when you're telling you're trying to help us. We're not dumb to that point. But when you're telling us something that's going to happen, we're getting real smart real quick because we know how that's happened in our livelihood. And we know how that's happened in our families. We know that's how it's happened our job in, at, as far as health and safety. We know how that has happened to us with our pension and health care. Now, when you can tell us these things and you may play the part of making this all happen and, and helping us keep that, then we'll listen to you. But don't never take us for granted. And that's where I think the Democrats fell short when they assumed that they had us no matter what. No matter how bad the Republicans get, we got them. Well, you forget sometimes you got to have that personal touch and that personal conversation with, with an individual, especially with our minors. And we we tell our minors that we didn't not try to change their mind when some of them wanted to vote for Trump. We did not try to change their mind. But what we did tell them is whenever it was time, we told them the people that were supporting us and we told them how they were supporting us. But it, it's good when it comes from from them, their telling our folks the same thing, because they used to visit all our fish fries, all our cookouts, all our gatherings. They used to visit. The Democrat Party used to visit. They stopped all of that. When Rick Boucher left office, they stopped coming. They stopped going around and talking to the people. They stopped visiting our county meetings and stuff. If you care for people, you show up and tell them that. I've asked people, I've asked our members a number of times, tell me why you supported Yonkin and you didn't support McAuliffe. And they said, Yonkin came to see us. He didn't say he was going to do anything. I don't even know if he's done anything. But when he did come and see us, he didn't ignore us. They said McAuliffe ignored them, did not come to their meeting. He came to Bristol and Abingdon and went to Big Stone Gap at the college or Wise to the college, but he did not come over in the coalfields where the working people were. Okay, I'm hearing this message. I'm hearing this message, and I'm sure listeners are loud and clear. Let me present this this situation to you, which you are mm -hmm. well aware of. In this culture, in this economy right now, we are in an environment where big companies are cutting pensions everywhere. Yes. They're cutting health care everywhere. Yes. Does it do you have to be in a union and have the possibility of going on strike to protect those kinds of things? Do you have to have a Senate bill to be able to protect the rights of workers? Or is can you stop this? It feels like a landslide. Well, it's, I put it like this. If 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 that's what we tell people, we can't force people to join a union. We don't try to force people. We tell them to make up their own mind. Me as organized director, that's what I've always done. I told people, don't take my word for certain things. Just like I told the Democrat Party, don't think that when people say we don't got smaller, I said, go back and check your test base. I, I tell them to do it. You do the homework on this. And you tell me yourself, you tell me yourself uh, how many mine workers are still around in Southwest Virginia. And you tell me how much money is coming into your county uh, from the tax base, from the miners and the mine workers. I said, now you tell me. And I've done this and I've done my homework. I tell them this and I tell them that if you want to check the facts, let's talk about the facts. 
But no, you do not have to belong to a union to make this all happen. But it does help to have an international union to make it all happen. Is your point is your point that the money is coming in to the companies, but it's not staying in the locality? Is that what you're saying? Oh, I, I will bet money on that right now. I can tell you right now. I can tell you of a mines that's going to, that's been working ever since it went union. It was union when we first opened it up in uh, McClure, Virginia. It was union when they first opened it up and they came back and they moved the bathhouse a hundred yards. They moved the mines opening a hundred yards down from uh, where it was. And they said that was a new operation. So with the right to work, they could make it non-union. Now, it, that mine was one of the most profitable mines in this country, the McClure One Mines. We had seven people to get killed in the explosion there. But they knew that they was trying to break this union, so they thought they could do this. So they moved it and said a new operation, they could come back in as a non-union operation. Now, let me show you what they did by doing that. They took and moved those folks 100 yards and a, and a new opening to the mines itself, 100 yards. And when they opened that mine back up, they paid them $6 less than what the union mines was making. They paid them... Uh, they had a $7,000 deductible on their health care. That's the way they got no pension plan. They got a 401k, which is not a pension plan. We try to tell people this all the time. That's All that is an investment that you make, and you hope that it goes good, and it hope the stock market stays high. If the stock market doesn't, if it defaults in any way, then you're, that, 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 with that savings that you got in your 401k is gone. And people still still will buy into that same stuff that this company is trying to take care of them. And it's taking care of them, but not in the way that they, that they ought to. Let me interrupt to remind listeners that uh, this is this conversation. I'm Teresa Keller. This is part two of our conversation with James Gibbs, recent guest of Senator Tim Kaine at the State of the Union address, at-large vice president of the United Mine Workers Association. We're talking about the fact that Companies, of course, are trying to get labor as cheap as possible, opening mines, having non-union, and the fact that some workers are resistant to join the union as well. If you want to hear part one of this conversation, you can go to wehcfm.com and click on the podcasts, and then you can find that conversation here. So, James Gibbs, we our time is going so fast. Would you just wrap up with what the workers, what the United Mine Workers has done and continues to do with miners. Well, what we're doing right now is fighting for their jobs. We're fighting for what coal is left. We're trying to make sure we keep it. What coal mines that we represent, we're trying to make sure we keep that too. The dignity of a coal miner of going in that ground every day, union, non-union. I guarantee you when there is an accident in any mines, no matter it's union or non-union, the union brother cares as much for that non-union brother as they do, uh, the worker that's, that they work every day with in, in the union mine. We do care, we have cared, but we also will definitely fight forever forever, as long as we got a breath. Our president has said this, Cecil Roberts has said this, I'm saying this, that we will always fight for our health care and our pension for our retirees that broke their backs for these and, and, and raised their families with, with that health care and pension, the money that they deserve. They paid their dues. 
Now, we got to pay our dues by help trying to keep that. Now, let's move on to the fact that surprise to me when I heard this, United Mine Workers Association also represents lots of workers who are not miners and yes. that you want more, you want to represent more workers. What are yes. the initiatives in that area? Well, let me just say this. I mean, you got a hospital over here in Bristol, Abingdon, Johnson City, and Kingsport. I get, what's the name of the uh, the company? Ballad. Ballad. Now, I want you to think about this. Now, these people doing the virus was our hero, and they still are heroes. That's the way we look at it. I was talking to one of the nurses that uh, helped take care of my mother when she came home. And she told me she had a baby while she was working for Ballot, and it cost her $9,000, and she worked for Ballot. Now, you tell me how many people could afford that, but yet they were our heroes. But that company didn't care. If he did, ain't no way in the world you would charge those kind of folks and they work for you $9,000 just to have your baby. James and Gibbs, then, are you saying that you would like to represent the workers at Ballot Health? I would. I am saying that a whole lot. I wish people would talk to us. I would love to be able to come in there and make these folks mine workers and show them what a union, an international union can do for them. And, I, and I'll tell you, too, I had a, another nurse tell me, she said, I want you to see my paycheck. This is what I got. And this was just last, last year. Last year for a Christmas bonus, $15 for a Christmas bonus. And all the healthcare and pension are people that goes through there, I know. And that, 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 that hospital is making money, and that's in Bristol. And I'm thinking, tell me, how in the world can you call these people our hero doing that virus and then treat them like that and, and, and charge them $9,000 for having their babies? or a $15 Christmas bonus. And you're going to tell me what can $15 do? And then you bring in, you bring in uh, contract nurses and pay them three times as much as you do a nurse practitioner that already works there. Is that you're talking about the traveling nurses? Yes, the traveling. And I'm not down to those traveling nurses. I do not blame them if that's what they, if they can get by with. But what I'm saying is, these companies do not care. If they did, it's no way you could treat our heroes like that and then call them our heroes when you get on TV and the radio and the papers and then you treat them like that and 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 don't give them the time off and the days off and, and the money that they need to support their families. All right, let's leave that topic right now. We've got to move on and just move on a little bit quickly if you can with your answers because okay. I still got more questions. What was it like in Washington, D.C., being with Senator Tim Kaine at the State of the Union? Well, this is what Senator Kaine did for me, and this is what I reason one reason I went up there. First of all, uh, it was good for somebody from my union to be asked, and, and we appreciate that. And But it gave me a chance, the people that we haven't had the chance to think uh, for what they did to help us keep our health care in our picture, and also uh, uh, support our Black Lung Bill that we got it fully funded on uh, the disease back in Black Lung. But what I'm saying is it gave me plenty of time to thank all those senators that helped us and all of those uh, congressmen that gave us support. And it gave me a chance to do that and, and have that time to thank them. 
and it gave you a spotlight on the issues that you care about. I'm assuming that you were being interviewed numerous times during that time. That's the truth. I did. I did a couple uh, press conference and then also uh, FaceTime and with question and answers. And I had some people ask me a question of, you know, how did that help? Well, it helped our people. It helped our union people. It helped a lot of these non-union miners because when our salary goes up, their salary goes up. When it don't help much on their health care and pension, but they know that they're getting by. The company knows they're getting by and that's what they do. So, but it gave us a chance to tell people and tell the world and tell our counties, all our county people, the people hadn't heard, the people that hadn't read our journals and the people that hadn't read our, our uh, newsletters that we sent out. And a lot of people don't. And a lot of these older people that don't have a chance to and don't have somebody young enough to come in there and tell, but they might see it on TV and they might hear this and they'll know that that all took part and Senator Kane had a hand in it. James Gibbs, we are recording this interviews part one and part two, available at wehcfm.com for people who may have missed part of something. We are recording this in the middle of Black History Month. You've been in mining for 48 years. I imagine that in the mines, there were very few Black people back when you started, and I imagine that there was overt racism and lack of opportunity because of the color of your skin. Would that be accurate or would that not be accurate? Well, see, this is where you where you, I could say that you're wrong in one sense, because when I started back in 76, there still was a whole lot of African-Americans in the mines. Uh, I think you have racism wherever you go. Uh, but I would have to say I had some of my best friends, uh, my union brothers, uh, white union brothers, black union brothers, but we shared a lot and we were we were like a family. Uh, I had a, a, a guy that done some lobbying for us in D.C., he made that statement. He said, I have been around a lot of unions and his black lobbyists. And he says, but I have, since I've been around the mine workers, uh, when he was lobbying for our bill, he said, I have never met a group of people like you all are. He said, y'all like your family, you make people feel like they're a part of your family. And that's one thing I'm saying. So when I first started in the mines and real quickly, I'll tell you, there were a lot more African-Americans, but uh, we were like the women that came into the mines. Uh, we were we were actually was in the mines before the women, but still yet uh, with our contracts and and with the women starting the mines in '74, it, was, it just didn't happen. But when we with our seniority, we had to go and come as our seniority gave us the permission to be able to go and come. It was not that we had a lot because we had a job. Uh, but uh, it gave a lot of African-Americans a chance to be uh, to get to the middle class by making the kind of money they had and making. And, and this union has provided that for us. Uh, when the when people started back in the mines when my father did, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, they used to have a ball team. Just about every coal company had a ball team. And they actually used to recruit the blacks once that we got organized but they recruit them to play ball and, and, and work in their minds. And that's how a lot of the black folks got in the mine. And at one point in time, just in Southwest Virginia, we had anywhere from four to 5,000 African-Americans working in the mines. That is amazing. And I do remember hearing recently, you know, people are working a little harder to reveal some of the history that, that we don't generally know, but that Norton, 
was one of the first integrated ball teams in the state or something like that. You may more, yeah. know more detail than I do. Yeah, and it, and it was. And, and that's what I say. But Clinchco, that, Norton, uh, Coburn, Appalachia, Stoneacre, all of them had uh, black ball teams and black and white ball teams. Uh, but that's how a lot of folks got jobs. That's how a lot of folks uh, went to work in the mines. And like I said, too, with the money that they had a chance to make, uh, it gave them a chance to go and be in the middle class. And and I'll tell you, with the 135 years, I think the mine work has been in existence, uh, and a lot of people don't know this, President Roberts asked me at one time to serve as uh, the organized director. I was the first African-American organized director ever with the mine workers. And the longest term, longest running organized director ever with the mine workers. But I am the highest ranking African-American ever uh, in the mine workers, but being an at-large VP. And the reason that is, is because I have to not run just in a district. I have to run in every state and every district, the two districts we have in Canada. And you can say, you know, I tell people this all the time that uh, we've had anywhere from 460 to 410 locals, and I've lost one local in all of that time. So uh, if people got a lot of racism, and I won't say they won't, that they don't have, uh, they've never showed it when it came to, to when we were electing officers. Because I've got it, I've, I lost one local out of, out of five, almost just, if I run this term here, and I'm going to, It'd be five terms, and I've lost one local in all that time. Well, you have clearly achieved a lot. Would your father or would you, as a child, have been able to imagine that you would be a special invitee to the State of the Union Address in the United States Congress? No, no, and I and I didn't even imagine it, but that's what I told Tim. Uh, and I didn't mind coming. I've never been a, a yes man for anybody, but if I couldn't say and do the things I needed to say and do, then it would be no use to inviting me. Bad as I am, that's the way I am. And and I tell people this all the time. Uh, I got to speak my mind. I got to tell you the facts. I'll tell you where you can go to find the facts. Uh, if I don't know, I'll, I'll try to find out and help you find out. But uh, no, I would have never assumed that I could have done, would have been able or been invited to that but I think Tim and I've had that kind of uh, of uh, understanding. We've always have, uh, and 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 we talk plainly. We don't all, we don't always disagree. I mean, agree, but we don't always disagree neither. So well, I'm sure you speak your mind. I think that's clear, and your passion is clear. We truly have actually one minute left. Can you take half of that time and just say what your message is to people about unions? I wish people will understand and, and come and talk to us or give us an opportunity uh, to talk to them, uh, uh, especially if they need help. Don't wait till it's too late and you lose your job or you're about to lose your job or you've been written up. Uh, these companies, in most cases, if if anybody can understand what I'm saying to them and they're listening to me, they will pat you on the back and they will tell you. And I, if they if the if the greed didn't set in, I would say they they'd help you and they take care of you. But most cases they don't, and they don't give a damn because uh, if they did, there's no way that some like the Bristol Hospital could call you a hero one day, and 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 then give you fifteen dollars for a Christmas bonus. <laughs> I said when I hear that, 
that's unbelievable. And and when you can pay contractors almost three times as much as you pay your highest paid nurse that works there full time, then I really find that hard to understand. Uh, and I'm just saying, and that's the traveling nurses, and that's not the down the traveling nurses because they need help too. They just don't know it yet. But if you give us an opportunity to talk to you and explain a few things to you, I think that you will really understand where we come from as far as you being a part of the UMWA or any other union. My uh, guest today, James Gibbs, at-large international vice president of the United Mine Workers, the highest ranking black man in the United Mine Workers, uh, an activist, a radical. You want to know what he thinks? You just ask and you'll hear it. And it's been a pleasure listening to your ideas on this show. Thanks again, James Gibbs. I appreciate it. And thanks to the listeners for tuning in. This is WEHC 90.7. This is WISC FM Wise. You can hear this conversation here Wednesdays at 6, Sundays at 2. You can get our podcast by going to WEHCFM.com and click on the podcast site or just Google this conversation, WEHC. Thanks again, everybody. See you next time.